Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will go back into the Salt and Light cellar and bring out some of our favorite conversations. First, Krista Matrenko speaks with Mark Burnett and Roma Downey about their Bible miniseries that aired on the History Channel. And we speak with Hal St. John of the British electropop group Uberfuse. In our second half hour, the anchoress, Elizabeth Scalia, tells us about her new book, Strange Gods, Unmasking the Idols in Everyday Life. And we conclude the program with a featured chat with Father Rob Gallia. We begin now with Krista Matrenko and the Bible miniseries. Most people's knowledge of the Bible is limited to that children's picture Bible that they had growing up. So they know the story of Adam and Eve and Noah's Ark. They know about Abraham and Isaac and about the ten plagues, David and Goliath and Daniel in the lion's den. And then they know some of the stories of the life of Jesus. And that's it. And what's on TV or film is never much more extensive than that. But now there's a new opportunity to watch the Bible on TV in a way that it's never been done before. It's produced by reality TV mogul Mark Burnett and his wife Roma Downey, who played Monica in the beloved series Touched by an Angel. Recently, Chris Dimitrenko and I were invited to a sneak peek at the series, and Chris got to ask them a few questions. Roma, Mark, most film portrayals of the Bible will look at one particular book, yet you've chosen to tackle all of salvation history from Genesis right through Revelation. What inspired you to take on this project? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> we, were, we just felt the tug, the call to do it. A um, couple of things happened in our lives around that time. This was about three and a half years ago. Uh, we had seen a, a documentary that someone was making, wondering if we might be part of it. And uh, it took a very negative stand against God. It would ask questions like, what kind of a God would send a flood to destroy the world? What kind of a God would, would, ask, his, uh, would ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? And the ho- it left us both feeling really... Uh, it was upsetting to see it. And when we came out from the viewing, I said to Mark, why would anybody want to be involved or make anything like that? If we were going to do anything about the Bible, wouldn't we just bring the Bible to life on the screen. And um, we have three teenage children, and we had tried to get them to watch the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. It was around that Easter, and they just thought that it was hokey. And, you know, it was a combination. We said, wouldn't it be just great if we did this? Anyway, here we are, three and a half years later. We have made this epic miniseries, Ten Hours, Genesis through Revelation. Mark, compared with your past projects, did you feel a different weight of responsibility given that your material is the Word of God? We felt a massive responsibility, but that responsibility can also be struck fear in somebody or or have them have trepidation and end up not doing it. It's very um, easy to hear the call and pretend you don't hear it. You wouldn't hear the call to do this if it wasn't intended that you would do it. So even though you're not always certain, it's walking forward in sometimes that uncertainty because nothing is actually certain on a project like this. Mm. You have to go forward. You have to believe. You have to believe we've been called to do this. We have the skills to produce it. We could raise the money to produce it. And we're full of faith. 
And those are the three uh, combinations to make it just keep going forward. I have to tell you, there's never been a time in the last three and a half months together, Roma and I, have ever doubted what we're doing. Yeah. No, it's true. And it's been challenging sometimes, but we prayed our way through it that we would draw to us um, the best people, you know? We, we, and we have done that. We have the very best um, in terms of writing, in terms of performance. Uh, we got Hans Zimmer to create this amazing score. Uh, we hired Lola, Oscar award-winning special effects team out of London to bring miracles to life on the screen. Daniel and the Lions, Moses parting the Red Sea, the burning bush, Jesus walks on water. Really just so amazing, the teams of people. I mean, everything takes a village. But it began with this calling that we heard. And we paid attention to that. And it's been so great that we've had each other as well, you know, that we've been able to bring our strengths to it and our experience and our love and our faith, working shoulder to shoulder. And um, it's been a long road to get to this place, but we're on the home stretch now and we get to share it with the world. It will air on the 3rd of March and uh, be on for five weeks. And the final week, which is Easter Sunday, which is such perfect timing, because that episode will show the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection, the ascension, the conversion of Paul, absolutely wonderful scenes and right through to Revelation and it's a really, really strong and powerful episode. During the process of adapting the biblical text for film, how did that change your relationship with the Word of God? How did it change how you saw Scripture? Well, I think it changed, I've thought for myself, um, my view of Scripture just was deepening. You know, it's... um, it's hard to understand as you've done this to relook at the Bible. I mean, I don't remember. I don't remember in my life there wasn't a Bible in our house, you know. But to relook at the Bible and now think, wow, how would we tell these Bible stories, which could easily be looked at as individualized stories, which actually, but they have a through line. It's one story. It is one story from Genesis through Revelation, and how to connectively and emotionally tell that. You can only but deepen in your yeah. faith by focusing on yeah. it every day for years. You know, we had from the, from the moment Eve and Adam bit into the fruit and the fruit fell and they fell from grace. It's as if we as humanity have been stumbling forward and trying to get back, trying to get back to God. And so we see that all through the Old Testament. And then finally, you know, because he loves us so much, God sends Jesus to us to get us back to him. And so the first half of the, of the stories are in our struggle to get there. And then, of course, at episode six, which is on our third week, we have the nativity and the birth of Jesus and then right through the, the narrative of Jesus' life and so on. Um, but we had um, experts and scholars and theologians to advise us. You know, neither Mark nor I could pretend to be Bible experts, though we know a lot more now than we did when we began. But like my husband, my earliest memories are are of my own father in Ireland growing up, reading the Bible to me. And I don't remember a time in my life where, you know, where the Bible wasn't such a, a, a part of our lives. And it is, after all, the cornerstone of our culture as well, you know, all of our art and our literature. I mean, we believe that the faithful 
will find this series, but the potential is there for it to reach people who maybe would never open a Bible, who maybe would never go to church, but will be excited and, and find these stories amazing. And it will bring the stories to life for people that, that maybe would never be exposed to the Bible. And I think that's very exciting. It's been said that this is the first biblically illiterate generation. What do you think will surprise people about the Bible for those who are new to these stories? Well, I mean, first of all, there's the, on the serious level, probably nothing should really surprise, because even people who, um, I don't think, necessarily read the Bible, do know the underlying story, which is, you know, from creation, through the flood, through, you know, Abraham, Moses, everyone knows the story of Moses, you know, you've seen DreamWorks movie, Prince of Egypt, um, King David, you sort of know the story of David and Goliath. Um, and the story of the kings, who God said humans shouldn't be kings. God is the king, humans can't handle it, and, and will make slaves of their own people. Came true, right? Still coming true. And of course, everyone knows the birth of Jesus and the crucifixion. So nothing surprising in the grand narrative. There's certain little pieces on the way which people can say, wow, I forgot that story. And that's when you think people are going to reopen Bible and reread some stories. And, you know, it's, it's epic. It's, it's amazing, by the way. The amount of people who um, feel they are Bible literate who are surprised by certain elements. It's a big book. Mm. I think what people might be surprised by is just how relevant it is. You know, that the stories, you know, as we were breaking them down, um, forgetting for a moment that they're these big Bible characters, you know, Abraham and Moses, but they're, you know, that there's the, the humanity to their stories, the the way that we can identify with the stories, you know, it's that really there are stories, that, that the things that people had to deal with, the struggles and their hopes and their hurts and their desires are not dissimilar to the emotions that we feel today and if we have done nothing else I would hope that a contemporary audience watching that would make that emotional connection to the stories of, as we've told them and it will bring the Bible alive in their hearts in new ways. Roma, your past work with Touched by an Angel inspired millions of people. Who do you hope that this project will reach? Well, you know, I would I love to think of families sitting together over this five weeks. It's not long to have to commit to five weeks to watching something. And there's an opportunity here to gather with your children and your and your parents, your grandparents, and to gather together the possibility that on a on a Monday morning after we've aired, the people could be around the water cooler talking about the Bible, talking about scripture is very exciting to me. But I think as well as the American and Canadian audience are seeing this. This ultimately is going to go around the globe, you know, to places that we have never heard of and to people that we, you know, will never meet. We may never know their story, but whose lives could be touched by this in some way. Roma Mark, thanks for sharing your passion for the Word of God with the world. That was Krista Matrenko speaking with Mark Burnett and Roma Downey, producers of the new Bible miniseries. You can find out more at BibleSeries.tv. Here now is our featured band of the week, Uberfuse, with their song, Credo. Credo in unum Deum Patrem, Creatorem, Je 
Invisibilium Creatorem Invisibilium Credo in unum Jesum Christum Dominum Filium Dei Natum ex Patre Deum ex Deo Natum ex Patre Luminis Lumine That was Uberfuse with Credo. Now, most people would not think of putting the words electropop and faith in the same sentence. But when it comes to the London-based British band Uberfuse, that's exactly what it is. Uberfuse is comprised of three people, Sherry, Hal, and Nico. Their musical vision is to infuse what could be seen as a dying tradition of Western contemporary pop with new life, But it's not just about music. They're outspoken and thought-provoking. Their lyrics carry strong socio-political messages and also messages that are biblical and of faith. 
and that is probably probably very unique for a band that is part of the current UK pop scene. And I came across Uberfuse a few months ago, and I'm very happy to have their frontman, Hal St. John, joining us now on the phone from London. Hal, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. So, so Hal, uh, uh, people are listening to the name Uberfuse. They probably don't even know how to spell that. Where did that name come from? Well, it's it's a kind of corruption of the the German word Uber, which is spelled U B E R, but we kind of like corrupted it and spelled it O O B E R. Um, so U- Uber, as in like a lot. Well, yeah, Uber kind of means exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, um, and the concept of fusing is. Um, is like bringing things together which traditionally may be kept apart. So in the context of what we, we're doing, we're bringing a kind of electro-pop um, into conversation with faith, um, perhaps perhaps in a unique way. So you, um, so you, sorry, so you did set out intentionally to bring in those two things that seemingly have nothing to do with each other, uh, this style of music and faith or, or, or sort of social messages. Well, we, I mean, it's certainly here in the UK, it's not cool to um, bring your faith into into, into pop music. Yeah, you know, no, it's not, of, it's not cool here either. <laughs> you know, a lot of musicians uh, think, oh, I want to be a successful musician, so I have to pretend that I don't really take any of that stuff seriously. But we, we kind of thought, well, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to park our faith somewhere and then get on with our music and then go back to our faith? And we thought, well, why don't we just... You know, if we just let it influence our music. So, right. And that's what happens. We don't try and separate faith from music. Right. I mean, both we, we, we've all kind of kind of grown up um, um, in a church context, playing music in a, in a church context. And uh-huh. I suppose, again, you know, you're, you, you do that and you think to yourself, well, you know, why do I have to... Why do there have to be two worlds, the world of church music and the world of um, secular pop music? No, why can't I, I just... And that makes perfect... One world? Yeah, no, that that makes perfect sense because most most artists are are bringing their own belief systems into their lyrics anyway. So why, if your belief system is a Christian belief system, why should we leave it out? But you, this music now, you, your music is well received in the secular, like in the club scene in in the UK. Yeah, we, we we've had a, a bit of success in the UK club scene, um, particularly with a track called Flicker. Um, uh-huh which was was mixed by um, a, a well-known UK DJ called Love Rush UK. And yeah, it did quite well in the, um, the dance dance kind of charts here right. in the UK. And what kind of response do you get to the fact that some of your music it has messages of faith? Um, well, you know, the, the, there are various ways that you can kind of in, in, introduce your faith in, in, into your music and one way obviously is to, is to use explicit language uh-huh. um, but we've done that in one or two tracks particularly when we were asked to play um, at World Youth Day in Madrid and also when we were asked to write the youth anthem for the paper visit right. um, UK so we did use explicit um, references to um, religious themes but um, more often than not, what we do is um, we talk about what we refer to our faith in, in, in kind of not, not not hidden. It's not hidden messages, but in kind of um, using themes like light and um, not necessarily referring explicitly to things that are religious. So, 
replica, we say, the hidden light that shines goes by any other name. Um, it is love, it is life, it is one eternal flame. So that, you know, you can't, you can't be offended by that if you're not religious. But, um, yeah, but there's you can a message. get it if you are religious, you see what I mean? Right. Um, in, uh, you mentioned earlier in, in uh, 2010 when the Holy Father was in England, you, you're, you guys were chosen to write the theme song for the meeting with young people in Hyde Park, the song Hearts Cry. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, well, we had a we had a song uh, called Hearts Cry, which which was definitely inspired by uh, I think it, a, a, um, a verse from the Book of Revelations about uh, when God stands at the door of our heart and knocks, um, mm. we're invited to open the door and let Him in. So it was a song that reflected really on that that kind of biblical idea. Um, and the bishops who were organising the papal visit heard the track and thought, wow, this perfectly uh, matches the theme of the people visit which was um heart speaks unto heart so mm. the idea of heart, you know the, the something talking within your heart um, corresponded um, uh, um their theme co- corresponded with our song and so they thought why not make our song into the youth anthem which is what it finally ultimately became um mm. So, uh, yeah, uh, we were getting some weird headlines uh, in the press, like, who um, views uh, the Pope's favorite electro-pop band? Right, electro-pop. I'm not sure he knows of any other electro-pop. <laughs> no. If, if he, yeah, so um, it's a bit weird. So, if, if your music is being well-received in the secular, for example, the club scene, is it also being well-received in the Catholic scene? I mean, if the bishops knew about it enough to select your song. Yeah, it, um... Well, as we all know, we Catholics are very discerning and we don't really get too excited unless something really, really um, connects with us. And so, but as I say, we've all come up from um, the church music scene. So we're obviously um, well connected at grassroots level, at parish level. But um, you know, as we as we do these more high profile things, then we appeal to a wider audience. Um, which includes Catholics. Um, right, for for example, last night we were performing at a, at a, a kind of youth event uh, uh-huh. in central London to prepare the pilgrims who are going to Brazil this uh-huh. year for the, for the World Youth Day. And we were playing um, our song, which is going to be played at the World Youth Day song, cool. uh, World Youth Day yeah. event in July. Yeah, it got it got very well. It got a very good um, reception. Right. So, okay. So, but, but that's when it answers your question. But yeah, we do, we are we are known within the Catholic community as well. So, but when you say that you're involved at a parish level, you don't play at mass. I mean, do you certainly use this music at mass, or do you do some sort of variation of what you do at mass? <coughs> obviously, we play. We, I mean, I, I yeah, we know is the answer. We don't obviously we don't play our um, our music is kind of it's like pop music, which is I suppose form for that is is a gig rather than a, a, a liturgy. Yeah. But um, we do occasionally um, get asked to play some things in like like the track We Believe um, uh-huh. or Credo. That that was written for the mass. Um, and so yeah, I mean some of not all of it by any means um, is liturgical, but some of it can some, be used. Some of it can be. Yeah. yeah. 
so yeah. briefly because we're almost out of time so you you said that you were in Madrid World Youth Day I was there as well um, are you planning on going to Rio are you being part of that that uh, youth festival as well in for World Youth Day uh, this year I, I'm not sure if I can say this but I think I uh, well I'm going to say it anyway we've been in, oh, so it's it, official think, yeah. anyway, anyway, we've been asked by the organizers Good. of um, World Youth Day to um, to sing uh, sing the official um, Brazilian anthem in English, so we're, we're providing the English version of the official Brazilian um, Youth World Youth Anthem, which naturally enough is not in English. It's no, in. it's not. So, um, you, so you're going to record the English version of the World Youth Day theme song? Yeah, we were asked to record it in English because the World Youth Day official Brazilian, um, the Brazilian World Youth Day official song. It's in um, Portuguese, yeah. Uh, is naturally enough in Portuguese. Yes. But so obviously there'll be pilgrims from in from English speaking countries who won't necessarily understand Portuguese. So they asked us to do a version of the Portuguese uh, song in in English, uh-huh. but but keeping the original um, uh, tune, um, mm-hmm. to, um, identical kind of tempos, identical the accompaniment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so we've done that. But in addition to that, we they they asked us to do a, a kind of like a UK pop version of it, which um, we did, and uh, it's slightly faster than the original, uh, which is at 98 beats per minute. Ours is 128 beats per minute, so it go, ours is more likely to go down um, to go down quite well in in a club context. Right. So you did the the electro pop version of the theme song. That's good. I'm looking forward to hearing it. Um, Hal, that's all the time we have, but it's been really good chatting with you and it's been really good um, communicating with Sherry and and learning about what you do and uh, keep it up because there's there's nothing like breaking into that secular scene with with a message that's a, a little different than the regular message of secular music. So thank you for doing that. And maybe we'll see you in Rio. Oh, yes. Love to, love, love to catch up in Rio if you're there. Yeah, For sure. Anyone, thank yeah. you very much. Okay, thank you. Hal St. John is the front man for the British pop band Uberfuse. You can learn all about them at their website, uberfuse.com. That's O-O-B-E-R-F-U-S-E.com. I'm going to put that link on our site as well so you can find it easily. Here they are with their song, not the theme from Rio, but this is based on the theme for World Youth Day 2013. Their song is titled Go.
was Uberfuse with Go, a song inspired by the theme to World Youth Day Rio 2013. You're listening to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org radio. I'm sure that when most of you hear the first commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me, you're not thinking about all the things that you love. Actually, most of us think that idolatry is a thing of the past. But there's a new book, Strange Gods, that shows us otherwise. In it, author Elizabeth Scalia unmasks the many gods that we still worship today. I had the chance to speak with Elizabeth Scalia earlier this week while she was at the Catholic Media Conference in Denver, Colorado. Elizabeth, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. So nice to talk to you, Deacon Pedro. So I think that a lot of people know you as the anchoress. They know about your blog and they know about Patheos, I can't even pronounce it, dot com. Can you, can you tell us a little <laughs> bit about... Patheos. Patheos. Tell us a little bit right. about what that website is and what your goal is uh, for that, how it works. All right. Well, Patheos um, was originally developed as a, as a resource for uh, colleges, a, an academic resource to help people find not just information on religion, but the correct information, the historical information. Um, and then it devolved, uh, evolved, rather. Um, they kind of realized that what we need is actual people living these religions, talking about them, and so um, they created this little name, Pathios, which is kind of a portmanteau. It's, it's path, and Theos is God, so the path to God. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, they, they brought in evangelical Christians and progressive Christians and uh, Jewish writers and even atheist writers, and when they were looking for somebody to put the Catholic side together... Um, I was very fortunate that they came to me. It's been a very good experience. So each each portal almost operates as its own blog or its own sort of uh, site, yeah, um, microsite? The, the, the site has many channels. In fact, they're, they're putting together a, an Eastern Orthodox channel now. And um, within the channel, there are a number of uh, writers of that faith tradition. Right. That was a little when I first when I first was approached about it. I had to pray about it a lot. I actually dawdled about making my decision because I was a little leery about equating Catholicism with any other religion and saying, "Well, they're all equal," kind right. of thing. Right. Um, but then I, the more I thought about it, and the more I prayed about it, and, and talked to people about it, I realized someone is going to run this. Yes. And might as well be you. <laughs> I might as well do it because yes. I know how I feel. Yes. About how there's a duty to represent the truth of the church. Absolutely. And it's okay to, and it's okay to say I struggle with this because it's not easy to be a Catholic. Yeah. But it's good. you know I didn't, I didn't want a big dissenting fight, you know, you can go right. other places. Yeah, that. yeah, for sure, for sure. So so you you're the editor of the the Catholic portal there and you also write your own blog The Anchorist and now you're also an author because you have a book. And this is the book that we want to talk about, Strange Gods. What uh, what made you write this book about idolatry? You know, I um, I spend a lot of time either reading about religion or reading about politics, and um, the last couple, last few elections have um, made me wonder if our ideology sometimes doesn't become an idol, if we kind of lose sight of this other people and what God wants of us, because we're so busy categorizing everybody and saying, well... You know, this person's a Democrat, and this person's a Republican, and this right. person's a conservative, and this person's a liberal. And then once we assign the labels, of course, we completely negate them. Yeah. And we yeah. kind of get all wrapped up in that, and we forget God, too. And God has 
things he wants us to do for and with each other. Mm-hmm. And once we started labeling each other, we can't do that anymore because we can't even see each other. Right. Um, so the more I thought about that and the more I prayed about it, and Gregory and Nissa um, had a line that really spoke to me, uh, ideas create idols, only wonder leads to knowing. And I really pondered that for a long time, and the more I did, the more it seemed to me that my own life was full of idols. Mm-hmm. And my own ideas were idols, and I began to just really think about that a lot. And then one night, I, Ave Maria had approached me about a book idea, and I was dawdling about that, too, because obviously I don't like to make decisions. <laughs> and one night I was just trying to get to sleep, and the entire book just kind of popped into my head. Uh, and I got up and I wrote the outline because I've learned Great. that when, yeah. when the Holy Spirit does that, you just yeah, go absolutely, absolutely. And I sent it to them. Exactly. Uh-huh. And, I, and I, I said, here's the book, is this what you want? And they were like, yeah, okay. And then you know, it was a matter of writing. So, so, so again, let's maybe maybe I, uh, define some of these things. So, when you talk about idols, um, w- how would you define an idol? Then, are we just talking about anything that replaces God in our life? Um, you know, I, I went back to the first commandment. I went back to the ten commandments, really. But the very first one is, "I am the Lord thy God, and you will not have stranger strange gods before me." Yeah. And I thought about that, and I was like, well, why is God saying this? He's not saying it because he's an insecure God mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, needs us to all be saying, oh, God, you're wonderful all the time, yeah. although we should do that. Um, so there's a reason why he keeps telling us, don't put anything between us. Um, and, and that, the, the word between, is what sort of grabs me, because when I say God before us, or, or do not put God anything before God, we think of that in terms of time, concept, um, you know, yeah. An, an amorphous sort of belonging, but I was literally thinking in terms of between. Okay. For example, if you put a, a screen between two people, yeah, they absolutely. can't see each other. Yeah, 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 I um, get it. And if you're putting things between God and you, before God, it's also before yourself, and that's the thing you're seeing, and then God has to find some circuitous route to get to you, and you right. have to find a circuitous route to get to Him because you, you're blocking Him. So idols are th- things that get in the way essentially. Yeah, uh, the things that get in between and and become so big in our lives that we completely lose sight of God. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you say is that legitimate loves can be be twisted into idols. How can a legitimate love, if it's legitimate, be twisted into an idol? Um, You know, I kind of live that in one respect. I come from a family where there were some really, um, really people with very strange ideas and and they they made it difficult for their children to um function in life as normal people mm-hmm. because they were so busy trying to keep them close because they loved them so much right that right i mean real love god's love it, it didn't mock love at all it was it was love that was disoriented and disordered because god's love frees us i mean god created us one of the great things that pope benedict stressed many times is that God loves us so much that he gave us the freedom to not love him back, right. to literally walk away yeah. and and still be there for us. And that's the love that we're supposed to model for each other. So when you have a love that is so possessive, so careful, so worried um, that people can't live within it, that's a disordered love. Or um, you could even look at the liturgy, the people who are really, really yes. into liturgy, yes, um, and they spend their whole time at Mass 
loving the liturgy, but yes. then hating everybody who's in it because they're not doing it right. <laughs> yes. That's a disordered love. Yes, you know, absolutely. If you aren't Mass and all you can think of is the priest is not doing it the way I think he should be doing it, then you're not really a Mass. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so one, one other thing that you say is that you contrast idolatry with authentic worship. So, I mean, the liturgy is a good example again. Um, but w- what would you say is authentic worship then? Well, it's not self-interested. It's, okay. it's worship that surrenders. Um, you know, again, taking this example of either parenthood or attending Mass, I mean, I love God, I worship God, and I realize that it's all in His hands. Mm-hmm. And my trying to take it back is, is not part of worship. Right. Um, and the same thing with the liturgy. You know, if I'm sitting there judging everybody who's attending the liturgy, then, then my worship is really not authentic at all. Yeah. I, I can even give you, uh, to some extent, the, the, the whole idea of like traveling, coming to this media thing. Yeah. You know, I like to feel like I'm in control of my life, but you get on an airplane and you basically have to say, this is yours. You know, this is all going to fly however you want it to fly from the moment I step on this plane until I get home and, and like every day for the rest of my life. Right. Um, and yeah. so it's, it's really that notion of surrender being the most authentic sort of worship. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So keeping our eyes on, on God, essentially. Um, why do you think people fall into idolatry then? I'm sorry. Why do they fall into what? Why do you think people fall into idolatry then? I think it's our na- it's just our nature. It's our broken nature. I believe we've been doing this since Eden. You know, uh-huh. part of our nature, part of the freedom that he gave us and the free will that he gave us um, plays into it. If there was Eve at Eden being told, you can be just like God, and, right. and the serpent was serving her ego and right. stroking her ego, and she was like, yeah, I can do that. You know, and, and we're still doing that. In, in many ways, we're still in Eden. You know, it's yeah. still, I want what I want. No, what do you mean I can't have that? What do you mean you don't think it's good for me? And that's the thing. You know, the first commandment, if we're following the first commandment, it almost renders all the rest of the moot. Yeah, absolutely. Because if we're doing that right, absolutely. we're not doing the other things. Absolutely, you know? yeah. And and that's what the first command, uh, the, the Ten Commandments are about. They're not about no, 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 because you're bad if you do these things. It's about if you do these things, you're not looking at me. And if you're not looking at me, how can I love you? How yeah. can you be letting me love you if you're not looking at me? Absolutely. So don't steal. Look at me. Don't I don't don't you know lust after that person. Look at Look me. Look at me. Yes. And I, let me love you. I love that. I love that. So 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 keeping our eyes on God, looking at God. Um, that's that's good advice, Elizabeth. That's all the time we have. But uh, thank you for for sharing your thoughts <laughs> with us today and for sharing this book. I'm sure a lot of our readers, our our listeners, your readers, our listeners will appreciate uh, your contribution this morning. Oh, it was lovely talking to you. That was a conversation that I had with Elizabeth Scalia. She is known in the blogosphere as the Anchoress. She is also the managing editor of the Catholic portal at Pathius.com. Her new book, Strange Gods, Unmasking the Idols in Everyday Life, is published by Ave Maria Press. Here now is Father Robert Gallia with a new single, No Greater Love.
Was Father Robert Gallia with No Greater Love? Father Robert Gallia is a Maltese priest serving in Melbourne, Australia. He's a talented singer and songwriter and has been our guest several times, both on radio and TV, and he's a great supporter of Salt and Light Radio. We play his music all the time. He was recently in the United States, and so we thought we'd catch up with him to see what's new. I spoke to him last week while he was in Las Vegas. Father Rob, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you. Great to be back. So you're in Las Vegas. What are you doing yes. there? Gambling, I hope. <laughs> Having the time of my life. <laughs> no, just I'm um, I'm here on a partly holiday and partly working, um, uh, working with a, a great producer here in in Vegas. So I had to come all the way to Vegas to work with um, this guy named Primo Danger, who's uh, the producer of Justin Timberlake, out of all people. So. Okay. Um, he offered to work, do some work for me um, on, uh, on my, my upcoming recording. Okay, so back up. So he he offered to to produce some of your stuff. Yes, he did. He um, is a, we have a mutual friend, and oh, okay. he sort of heard about my music and wanted to do something for um, for God in a sense. Okay. So, um, and this is something beautiful I think about the music industry that to be able to reach into even these big producers and work in and to to be a an opportunity, offer an opportunity for them to use their talents for God. Absolutely, absolutely. So he's he's a Christian? 
He is a Christian. Oh, yes. nice, interesting. So, uh, so these you're you're recording a couple new songs for a new album that's coming up, or is this just sort of new songs? Yes. So I'm recording at the moment. I'm I'm not making. I'm not in any hurry. So I'm just recording, and as I go, um, eventually I'll compile an album. So I'm I'm writing. Um, while other albums, sort of, you sometimes can get into the rut of writing for an album. This time, I'm just writing, um, praying, and I'm offering it um, to God. And then slowly, um, if an album, enough content for an album comes up, then I'll compile it that way. Right, because your last your last album was the mass setting, and before that, it was the reach out, right? That's that's correct. But that's since correct. then, but since then, you have released single songs like No Greater Love. Yes. And uh, the reason I did that is because now I'm changing the style of my music. So, uh, in a sense, this is the way I, um, somehow I can reach out to, to the public through the music to see how it is um, accepted and how it is... Um, because now I'm doing sort of songs, for example, the songs I did with Primo Danger are almost dance tracks, almost. Oh, um, really? They're, but they're, they're prayerful at the same time. So we're trying to work um, with these guys who produce uh, these major rappers and these dance dance tracks and trying to bring it to 2013, so the very contemporary, <laughs> but at the same time not compromising in the the, the ability of the, the listener to pray with the music. So, so you're going to have some good dance music videos. <laughs> you won't get me dancing, that's for sure. Oh, come on. That would be great. <laughs> See, I would pay money for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sure a few would, but I, yeah, I, I have n- no coordination with my feet. Do you <laughs> do you see do you see your albums um, thematic in terms of I mean, obviously in terms of where you were in that particular time period in your life, so they're thematic yes. that way. But but uh, also thematic in that your music style has changed. Like you know, some some albums are more, uh, uh, if I can say, maybe praise and worship. Yeah. Um, like closer, closer, or or uh, reach out is a little. It's a little more uh, contemporary. Um, can I say it's contemporary rock? I'm not sure. What, yes, yeah. yes, that's right. Um, so and now you're moving to sort of more. Uh, <laughs> you call it dance music. So is that it's, like it's techno, rap, hip hop, pop music, so to speak? Um, but different to to what you get because there's also that prayerful element, and I don't want to. Um, get to the point where people can cannot listen to the music. It's not a constant beat, the, what we call the doof-doof music. Yeah, 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 no, no, no. Thank you. Thank you for but, not doing that. <laughs> but, it, it, yes, I do. There is a, a theme change. I, I mean, as uh, you said, you mentioned first, there's a different, I'm in a different place in my life. So mm-hmm. this, um, while before I would write more, for, for, uh, in my What a Day album, I wrote a lot about um, the experience of God, the walking with God. Yeah. But now um, I'm writing about God. More of my songs are about God, about not for what God has done, but for who God is. And in terms of how the music, I mean, obviously the music is for people to listen, listen to it, use it in in personal prayer. Sure. Maybe I mean the mass setting was specific for the mass. I think that even albums like like What a Day, some of that music can be used in liturgy. Could this That's new correct. music be used in liturgy? Um, I don't specifically write for liturgy, but uh-huh. there are songs that um, most certainly can be written for liturgy. For example, one of the last songs I recorded with Primo was is a song specifically written um, 
in that place of stillness before the Blessed Sacrament. Mm-hmm. So it's, a, it's, a, it's adoration, it's, it's a cry to, to hear the voice of God saying, sort of, just, just tell me you love me. You know, oh. and, and sometimes we need to hear that. We just need to hear God's voice saying, hey, Rob, hey, Pedro, look, um, I, I love you. And yeah. we need that. We need nice. that stillness. We do. Thank you for doing that because a lot of, I listen to a lot of your music and I, and I think adoration. And I think it's so good to have, I, I wish, I, I'm hoping, I'm praying that more, especially here in North America, we get to know your music so that we can use it in adoration because there's, I think uh, we're missing some Catholic people yeah. writing Catholic music for adoration and we're, we're having to go into other, you know, other, some of the contemporary Christian praise and worship kind of to, uh, genre to, to look for that music where, where we have music that, that's ours. Um, you talked about being in a different place in your life and, and one of the things that's new in your life that's happening is that you're doing more touring. Yes, I am. I know it's hard when you're in the middle of, <laughs> at the ends of the earth in Australia to, to, uh, <laughs> to get anywhere, but so you've, you, you were just in Israel? Yes, I was in Israel doing some, um, doing a musical pilgrimage there, so that was a, a wonderful, I think even life-changing experience for me, let alone for the group um, we were with. And from there also I, I, I came to, to here to America, to uh-huh. Vegas and Anaheim. I'm speaking at a congress very at, soon. That's right. You're going to be at the Religious Education Congress. Um, so, sorry, just to go back to Israel. So this was a pilgrimage that you organized so that people could travel with you uh, on a pilgrimage. And you yes. Des- so you described it as a musical pilgrimage? So yes, because w- what it was, um, was we went to the, all the holy sites. Uh-huh. And um, as salt and light would do, but yes, um, I, the difference was I took my guitar, and we were a group of young people, all under the age of thirty. So yours was better, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Different. Different. Yeah. You didn't invite. Y- you didn't. You didn't invite me, so I. I think next time you go, you need, you need a deacon to go with you. <laughs> Um, so, okay, so then you're done in L.A. with your little vacation there with Primo, and then you're going to Anaheim for the the largest uh, con- conference in North America, Catholic Congress, the, the Religious Education Congress, um, and you're yes. going to be, so are you doing, you said you're doing a workshop, yes. or a couple of workshops? I'm, sp- I'm speaking, um, I'm doing two workshops, um, so a workshop at the Youth Day and um, a workshop at the main con- Congress. Right, and then um, also will be sharing the stage with um, Father Liam Lawton. Oh yes, uh, from Ireland. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, an Ireland uh, a singer from Ireland. So yeah. I'll be doing a couple of songs. Um, he's lending me his stage, his platform. So oh, that's very good for him. Very nice of him. Yes, thank you. From father, from father to father, priest to priest. <laughs> that's it. Now another th- new. I guess this is not that new anymore. It's at least a year or more. The the, the stronger youth program that you've uh, yes. de- have you is that something that you developed or it sort of grew out of? Yes. So this is something that myself and um, Bishop Joe um, had started a, a few years ago. So look, a part of what I do is people can see me as a musician, but my main ministry is working in a parish. So I uh-huh. I'm an assistant priest in a parish. Mm-hmm. So um, even though I do travel. Um, it's very limited, and also um, I look after the this stronger youth program, which is a youth program developed for young people in regional um, Australia. So it's a fast-growing program which um, offers young people the opportunity to to experience Jesus as a person, and not only um, 
through as as an something in their mind which they get through their maybe through their religious education, but more as an experience. So it works through rallies, through weekend retreats, and mm-hmm. also through um, small groups, which we call D groups, discipleship groups. Right, and these are this is a program that anyone could could adopt and and implement in their own parish. Eventually, yes. We're um, developing it as a program, but at the moment it is um, we're just moving as we go. I'm, I'm, uh, since we started it, I started it off with Bishop Joe Greg, but since yeah. then he has passed away, he has died. Mm. So um, I'm walking very much sometimes um, with, a, with a blindfold, not knowing the next stage to go. So we're mm. moving forward. Good and and God is working. So no, that's, that's good. God God sometimes keeps makes sure that we keep the blindfold so that he we make sure that he's the one leading. So that's exactly right. Did, does the name of the program Stronger Youth Program is it? It's not based on your song Stronger. No, the, or I is that just write, random? Um, the song the, our first weekend was called Stronger, and so we decided to adopt that name. And I wrote the song for that first weekend. In fact, No Greater Love was the theme of our most recent okay. weekend. And No and Greater, so, that's, so that's your, that's your most recent song, No Greater Love. Yes, No Greater Love, that's the red, red, um, most recent single. There. The single, yeah. The single that we're waiting for the video so we can feature it on our website. <laughs> that's right, <laughs> that will come out soon. Anyway, um, Rob, I guess I should say Father Rob, um, it's been good to talk to you. Thanks for, uh, it's so hard when you're in Australia to try to phone you because of the time yes, difference. difference. So I'm glad that, that you uh, are touring and that you're spending some time in North America so that we could connect on the phone. And, yes. and uh, thanks for doing what you're doing. Keep, uh, keep it up and stay in touch. Thank you very much. And if anyone would like some more information, or even just to contact me, they can go to my website, Yes, um, which is um, fatherrob.com. Oh, fatherrob.com. That's a new oh, website. Oh, fatherrobgalia.com, yeah, okay. as yeah. you wish. We will, put that, we will put a link to that on our website so people can find it really easily. Thank you. Okay, God bless, Father Rob. You too, you too. God bless you. That was Father Robert Gallia. I spoke with him last week when he was in Las Vegas for some recording sessions, and then he was at the L.A. Religious Education Congress in Anaheim, California. You can learn more about Father Robert at his website, fatherrobertgallia.com. Here he is with Stronger. I know what goes up must come down, but your love defies gravity. I know... What goes around comes around, but your grace lifts me to higher ground. To higher ground, yeah. They say, where there's a will, there is a way, and you say you are the only way. I'm tired of walking, getting nowhere. me stronger when I fall down. You make me taller to stand my ground. You make me wiser now so I can see. I go where I don't want to go. 
Listening to Father Rob Gallia with Stronger. That concludes the special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. Mm-hmm.